has uh, recently written a book. Um, it's in the middle of you know, being published now, right? And and unfortunately wasn't able to, to have it before our meeting today. Um, but anyways, I just wanted you guys to welcome Darren. And to all of us, he's just a brother and a friend. And we're thankful to have him here today. So let's give him a great big warm welcome. You know, I told Eric he could just stream the football game in while I'm preaching, and I could just give y'all updates. While I'm... <laughs> you know, you set these meetings, and then you look and go, uh-oh, number five and number eight are playing. So, <clears throat> Well, I want to, uh, you know, this whole weekend we're going to be talking about identity and, and um, dealing with some things. I'm going to go a direction this morning and, and um, kind of lay a little bit for for you men, and then we'll um, go into it tonight, and then Sunday morning just really see what God wants to do prophetically. And um, how many knows our nation is in an identity crisis? And the reason our nation is in an identity crisis is because the church is in an identity crisis. And so these things are happening, and we've we've got to come back and to realize that to deal with this, it's the number one issue that we deal with in our families is identity. And there's a difference between identity and gifting. And I'm going to talk about that this morning. So, so many in the church, we, we find our identity in our gift. Okay. And so it's like if you was on an airplane and you sit down beside somebody, you'd ask them, hi, my name's Bill. Hey, I'm George. What do you, what do, right? You don't ask them who they are. What do you do? So if I ask you, who's Michael Jordan? You'd say, no, that's what he does. It's not who he is. See, but that's our society. That's how we think. Well, I'm a doctor. Oh, well, you're a doctor. Well, I'm a construction worker. See, we start identifying people by what they do, not who they are. Well, that's not what God does. God always looks at the what? The heart. He doesn't look at what you do, Right? How many knows you're a human being before you're a human doing? But if you don't watch it, what we do, we do the same thing in the kingdom. We do stuff trying to get God's approval. Look, Dad, look what I did. Are you proud of me? And how many knows that's not the way God works? God doesn't look at who you, what you do. He looks at who you are. Okay? So in identity, we've got to start to allow him to strip that back down because a lot of us have been identified even from, you know, our young years whether we were a good football player or basketball player or politician or, you know, we identify each other with those things. And if you don't watch it, then that's who you become. And you let labels be put on you, what you could do good or what you could do bad, what a teacher said over you, what a coach said over you, what a parent said over you. And it shapes our world and it shapes our identity. And God wants to help strip that and take us back to, wait a minute, Above everything else in the kingdom, it's like Eric is a pastor. Eric is, you know, an apostle. So it, he, he operates in two, for sure, of those gifts. And that's awesome. Okay? But first and foremost, Eric is a son. Okay? And, and this is what I mean by that. In identity, sonship levels the playing field. When the heavens open, God said, this is my apostle whom I'm well pleased. Ain't what he said, was it? What did he say? This is my son. So, how many of y'all got kids? So, I'm sure when you had a kid, you went to the hospital, 
And you stood and you looked at that baby and said, man, I can't wait till they grow up so they can do something for me. Bring me the remote control, get me a glass of tea, bring me a beer from the, I mean, um, bring me a coffee. Right? No, you look at the baby and you go, man, it looks just like me. It's got my ears. It's got my nose. You're celebrating that child. Why? Because it looks like you. It's carrying your DNA. Okay? That's how God looks at you. God doesn't look down going, man, if he'd just do something for me. No, he looks down, and he's proud of you. He rejoices over you. Why? Because you belong to him. You look like him. Matter of fact, I think some book says that, that we're created in his image, in his likeness. Okay? Now, you understand, you bring that baby home, that baby can't do nothing for you. It's going to cry. It's going to poop. It's going to wake you up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right? But why do you get up and do those things? Because you love it. It's yours. So understand, you know, God wants you to understand your identity first and foremost above your giftings. Okay? And when you do that, then it starts to strip what society has told you, you know, you're, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. We gauge people on paper. Do you know that's all money is? It's paper. And because somebody has more paper than you do, they get treated different. They have access to things that other people don't have access to because they have more paper in the bank than you have. You ever think about it like that? And I'm going, man, look at, look at how we operate in our system. And, you know, if, if God can reshape our identity from the inside out, okay, we can literally change our nation. And, you know, and I've, I've, I've been speaking this for a while. I believe our nation is in identity crisis because the church is in identity crisis, but because men are in an identity crisis. I don't mean that wrong, but if you look at the church in the years past, the church has been mainly sustained by women. And, you know, we, we've heard this over and over. So as the men go, so as everything goes. And, and it's a time that God is really wanting to shift some things and put what I call, you know, the men that he's called you to be in the place that he's called you to be. And so you understand your identity. We had this young man that <clears throat> we did a, a wedding a couple weeks ago and this, um, he was dating a, a spiritual daughter of ours. Well, two years before, she was dating another young man, and they had a real rocky relationship, and it wasn't good, and some things happened, and we're having to. I brought him into my home, and I was discipling this kid, and you know, because when they broke up, he wanted to kill himself. He was drinking. He was doing all this stuff. And number one, because he had an identity crisis. You know, his identity had now been attached to this girl. She broke his heart, and so guess what? There's nobody else. God doesn't love me. Rejection. Anybody ever went through that? Got your heart broke? Y'all lying. <laughs> and so this kid comes in, and, and um, you know, we told him, we said, look, you know, you're part of our family. And we're just sharing our heart with him. and said, you know, we don't want you to feel bad because what happened in a relationship with the girl, and now you're marrying her, and you felt like, you know, that, uh, you know, we know him, and so we're rejecting you. And he just, he looked at us, he goes, I don't feel that at all. He said, I didn't see that at all. He said, and he wasn't saying it arrogant. He said, if that was the case, I'd have a big identity issue. He said, I really don't. You know, and, and, and as I sat there and talked to the kid, I realized 
He really didn't. And you know why? He had a strong father in his life. And that father had constantly told him who he was, attached him to God, and he found his identity in who God said he was, not in how people treat him. Does that make sense? And so here we were expecting him to feel a certain way, and he's looking at us going, I don't feel that way at all. And the reason is because he didn't have a rejection wound. He didn't have this issue going, oh, I hope these people like me. Oh, I, you know, how can I take the place because this kid's been in their home, they've known him his whole life. He didn't look at it like that. And the reason is because somebody had put into him his true identity. And so I believe that's what God wants to do. All right? So that's where we're going to go this weekend. I'm really going to talk about, uh, you know, identity tonight. But this morning I want to I want to shift into some things with identity, and I want to talk about alignment and covenant. Okay? Those are two scary words. Because a lot of times we don't know what they mean. How many knows what alignment means? How many's ever had something out of place? You had a shoulder out of place. How many knows it don't work too well? There's pain attached to it, isn't it? But you've seen somebody with a shoulder out of place, and it creates a lot of pain. And then you can just pop that shoulder back in place, and what happens? You're fine. You can go right back to playing football. You can go right back to playing. It's like it, almost like it never happened. Okay? But I want to tell you something. When things are out of the line... There's a lot of pain attached to that. And God is so wanting to align and put people in their place. And not struggling to find your identity, but understanding what your identity is and then moving in your gifts to fulfill what God's called you to do. All right? So I'll give you a couple scriptures, and then we'll go into some stuff, and I'm going to show you what I mean when I'm talking about alignment. How many likes blessings? You like blessings? That's what I want to talk about this morning is alignment that brings inheritance. Okay, now let me say this, and I'll say a few things that might just shock you for a minute, but just stay with me. I'm not done. Okay, uh, heaven is not your inheritance, the place, as far as going there. All right. Now we all want to go to heaven, right? Just not today. Right? I mean, it's true. Everybody wants to go. We just don't want to go today. People in the hospital want to go, but they don't want to go today. Why? Because everything that's in them is doing what? Trying to live. You know why? Because God created us to live, to have life and have it abundantly, okay? He set things in order. You know, there's no vacuums in the earth. You can have a man-made vacuum, but in the earth, there's no vacuums. Why? Because wherever there's a vacuum, God will fill it. So if there's an animal that becomes extinct, there's another animal that will take its place. It's just the way God's created things. You know, even even in, in the seasons... You know, we're all, we all got warm stuff on, right? Y'all wasn't wearing this a couple months ago. Why? Things change. There's seasons and change. Don't ever make decisions in one season, okay, out of crisis that will affect you for many seasons to come. You know why? Because they're going to change. You know, I've known people when things, you know, when the oil and gas was real good, they were just living high on the hog, right, thinking it wasn't going to change, and all of a sudden, you know, Mark works in the oil and gas, and some of his guys that were working, I told them, I said, now listen, because they were getting paid a lot of money, but they weren't getting taxes held out, right? And they wasn't putting stuff back, and I told them, I said, don't act like that this is how you're going to live from now on. If you lose that job, you're going to be in trouble. Well, some of them didn't listen. So how many knows when they lost that job and it come to the end of the year and they didn't have anything put back, now they're in trouble because they're going to pay a lot of taxes, Right? 
The opposite is true. How many know you've been through some times where it ain't so good? Guess what? It'll change. Are are you with me? Don't make decisions out of crisis that you think it's always going to be this way. All right? I don't call those ups and downs. You know, people say, well, you know, you got your ups and downs in life. No. I I, I just say there's, there's, there's times, okay, that you're going to go through some things, and you got to have them. If it rained all the time, how many knows that wouldn't be good? No. And if it didn't rain, it wouldn't be good. So a tree, if a tree is going to be solid and have roots, you know what makes the, the tree's roots go down? The lack of water. So when it doesn't rain, the, the roots go down to find water. So it establishes that tree. So when the storm comes, the tree will but it doesn't get uprooted. So there's times where you may feel, man, there's dryness in my life. What's going on? That's the time for your roots to go down. It's God doing something in you and with you. Does that make sense? So I want to challenge you in that. Uh, Those seasons are for a reason. The things that you go through are for a reason. And it's to qualify you and set you in your identity. How many of you ever heard the story of Joseph? Now, everybody loves the end of the story, right, where he comes out and he's second in command. But nobody likes the rejection of his family, right? Nobody likes the persecution and accusation that he slept with Potiphar's wife. Nobody wants to go through the jail. But how many knows if he hadn't gone through those, he would have never been second in command. If he had just got out of jail and God would have got him out, he would have just been a slave out of jail, Right? But he went through the process, and that process is what identified and qualified him then to run a kingdom. So you have to understand, if you're going to be at that phase, there's a process you're going to have to go through. And that process is not always easy. Matter of fact, when he came out, he told his brothers, he said, you know, I don't hold this against y'all. Y'all didn't do this to me. God put me here. How many knows that's, that's a pretty different way of looking at things? So instead of blaming what he went through on his brothers, he saw, you know what? You might have meant it for bad, but God used it for my good. Okay, so it's perspective. How do you see it? The biggest thing that you're going to deal with in life is how do you see God? Bottom line, how do you see God? If you see God as, you know, he blesses other people, but he's not going to bless you. He might can heal everybody, but it's just, you know, he might heal you, you know. It, it, it's how your perspective of him is going to determine. You know, we sing the song, God is good all the time. But do you believe that? Do you really believe he's good? Because every one of you have circumstances where it didn't look like God was good. Come on, every one of us has said, we've gone through some things going, why, God? Why am I having to go through this? If you're real, right? You all ever said that? If you're really real. You know, what is that? That Listen, that is your identity crisis. It's how you see him in the midst of that, that you come out of that situation knowing that God is real, not because somebody told you, because you experienced him. See, this is what we try to do. We try to figure out God without experiencing God. Did you know you were never meant to figure him out before you experience him? How many of y'all are saved? Now, how many of y'all tried to figure out salvation before you experienced salvation? Right? I mean, how many of y'all sit down at the table, grab an apple, and go, now I'm going to have to figure out how this thing got here. There's a seed. 
and put that seed in the ground. And out of that seed came a tree. And then that tree bore this apple. And this apple now has more seeds in it than the one seed that was in the ground. I don't understand it, so I'm not going to eat it. I mean, no, that'd be stupid, wouldn't it? You're like, look, I don't care how it got here. It's going to bring nourishment. I want to eat this apple. I want to experience the apple. What's well, the same thing with God? We have so many people trying to figure him out, and so this is what they say. Well, the Bible says this, so I don't believe he heals. Well, you don't need to believe he heals. You need to experience that he heals. I mean, that'll change your belief system. Whatever you experience then changes how do you believe. Because you see people all the time say, well, I believe this. Well, they don't believe it unless they do it. How many of y'all believe in eating? Some of y'all just proved it, right? Why? Because you're doing it. And so I, I want to challenge you in some things. God is he's really going after our identity. So I don't care where you're at right now. I don't care what phase of life you're in. That's first and foremost. He wants to set your identity. And in doing that, you're going to really find out and see who you are. Because when you have that, then you're not moved by man's approval or rejection. So men can approve of you, and you're fine. Or men can reject you, and you're going to be fine. Because you've experienced God, not just heard about God. Not just been preached to about God. He sets your identity. Okay? Now, to do that, this is what's going to happen. He's going to hook you up with other people. All right? Relationship is going to help set your identity because it sees it shows you who you are. All right, let me give you an example. If I told you Peter was Jesus' friend, how many would agree? And I told you Judas was was, was Jesus' enemy, how many of you would agree? Right? Well, let's look what the Bible says. Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? Peter comes out with this great revelation, you're the Christ, awesome. A few verses later, Jesus starts telling them he's going to go to the cross and die. And what does Peter do? No, you're not. And what does Jesus say? I rebuke you, Satan, because you savor the things of man and not of God. That don't sound like a talking to a friend, does it? So he calls him Satan and rebukes him. All right? But then Judas comes to the garden and kisses him, and Jesus calls him friend. Now watch. Peter was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Judas was making sure he got to the cross. So which was his friend and which was his enemy? Oh, I see the wheels turning. What does that mean? Here, here's an incredible thing that you need to set. You cannot be promoted without an enemy. Your friends are not what promote you. Your enemies promote you. Come on, y'all been to school? What's the enemy of school? It's called, no, come on, a test, right? What happens when you take a test? Teacher don't talk, right? And you get in trouble talking to other people. Why? Because the test is given on the information you already have. So you really can't have a test in your life unless you have the information to pass that test. So let's look at Goliath. Goliath shows up in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, right? Well, that's good news. Why? 
because David's anointed in the 16th chapter. So whatever test you're facing, it's because you're already anointed to take it out or it couldn't be in front of you. You see what I'm saying? So see, there's your identity. It's God's already prepared me for this. So how many of you got financial issues? So God's already prepared you to take care of those financial issues. It's how do you see it? Not saying there's not going to be a challenge there. Not saying there's not going to be a test there. But every test is meant to be passed. You know how I know? If you fail the test, you know what's going to happen? You can take it again. God don't flunk you. He doesn't put you back. He just says, well, you're going to have to take the test again. It's It's coming again. So if you look at that, you'll understand why he says pray for your enemies. Because all your enemies do is show you why you're not passing the test. So if you've got a problem with unforgiveness, guess what? Somebody's going to do you wrong. Hello? Why? Because he's going to want to see, can you now forgive? Because if you can't forgive, guess what? There's no promotion. So if you've got a problem in that area, guess what? Here it comes. Somebody's going to do you wrong. Somebody's going to talk about you. How are you going to treat them? What does the Bible say to do? Bless them. Pray for those that despitefully use you. How many, how many of us do that? I'm not looking. But how many knows that's the test? So once you start seeing it different and you understand why your enemies are there, oh, it's easy to start praying for your enemies. Oh, God bless them. Because when that comes against you, you start to go, wait a minute, I'm up for promotion. This is a promotion in my life, and how I respond to it determines my promotion. I, I was sharing with Mark um, beginning of this month, and I, you know, I think I shared with, with, with uh, Eric's wife, Shelly, we got some investments we've done together, and um, we we lost quite a bit in about three or four days, and and uh, <clears throat> I I looked it up there, boy, and you, you know you know how when you you lose money you don't you get that sickening feeling in your stomach, <clears throat> and I heard God just as clear. He said, "Are you going to focus on what you lost or on what you have?" I knew it was a test. And I said, God, I'm going to focus on what I have. I am thankful for what I have. I am blessed. And, you know, and, and before 24 hours was up, I'd already made all that money back. And I thought, that was a test. <laughs> Are you understanding what I'm saying? Uh, Mark, he's done some investing in some things that we've, uh, in his life. And he, he did this one investing, and God, God set him up. Now, I don't know if you know God does this, but he does. He set him up, dude. <clears throat> and he had made some money invested, but this was one point he had lost about $28,000. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? And God spoke to me about what he was doing with him. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's a test for him. And this is what God told me. He said, I'm testing him to see if money is his God. He said, it's easy to rejoice when you make money. And trust me, he said, but I'm seeing can he really handle resources that I want to give him and this will determine how does he respond when he loses. Come on, y'all out there? You know, how do you respond when you lose a football game? It's easy to rejoice when you win a football game. You always find out more about a person when they lose, not when they win. And so she, my wife was saying, you need to call Mark. You know, and I was kind of giving him some time, you know, because I'm thinking, oh, I hope he's. So I call him, and when I call him, he's laughing. I thought he's passing a test. He said, man, I lost more in one day than my wife makes all year. 
and he's laughing about it. Now, how many knows that's a different perspective? And as I started talking to him, he said, man, I remember where I was at three or four years ago. I was this much in debt. And now look at where I'm at today. Not only did I lose it, but here's the incredible thing. I had it to lose. See, it's all a matter of perspective. You might get mad when you go to the, to the uh, gas station and go, man, gas is three fifty a gallon. Or you could go, praise God that I got the money to fill my truck up. See, it's your perspective. How do you see it? Am I making sense? So I want you to understand these are some things that God's going real deep in our lives because he's trying to show us and set our identity. Okay? So let me show you inheritance, moving from inheritance and living from inheritance. Did you know you're supposed to live from inheritance, not trying to get inheritance? I mean, Jesus died. He became poor so you could become. So when did you get it? It's in the atonement. So it's how you see it. Are you with me? It's like this. When, when did he pay for your healing? It's a cross. When did he pay for your sin? Okay, so when did you get saved? When you agreed with what he had done for you, right? Then you got to experience it. Come on, are y'all seeing what I'm saying? See, if you don't agree with it, then he can't manifest it in you. That's alignment. You're coming into alignment with what all he has already made available to you. But watch this. Your belief system always determines your actions. You cannot believe one way and live another way. People say, well, this is how I believe. Well, all you have to do is hang around them a little while and you'll see how they believe. But you got a lot of people that say they believe something, but they don't live it. Their actions show you something else. Well, it's the same thing with resources and finances. Okay? The way you believe, your resources will be an example of that. Well, I made a decision a long time ago. Look, God, if this is available, I don't want to live trying to get resources. I want to live from resources. I want to live from inheritance, not trying to get inheritance. Does that make sense? Because you know what uh, an heir is? Okay? So let me ask you something. When you get an inheritance, when do you get it? When you die? <laughs> no. When do you get it? When somebody else dies, right? So I think this book talks about somebody that died for you. Right? So when did you get your inheritance? When he died. So watch, watch this. You're a co-heir with him. So what does that mean? This is what, let me break it down for what it means. Everything that he had access to is what you have access to. That's what a co-heir is. It means everything that belonged to him now belongs to you. So let me ask you something. Did Jesus bring heaven to earth? Matter of fact, he, he was an example himself that he came from heaven to earth. Did he have resources? When, when did he get his resources? Before he was born, wasn't it? Why? Because all these kings did what? All these wise men brought him resources. It wasn't three. It was three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But all these wise men come and brought these gifts before he was ever born. Think about it. He's, he's our example. See, your resources were already there before you were ever born. 
Well, some of y'all look at me like y'all don't read the Bible. Watch this. What did Jesus say? The most controversial statement in the Bible. If you see me, you see the... Well, man, how controversial. But you know what he was saying? What's his is his. So if you're a co-heir with him, what's yours? Same thing. Now you can understand the scripture where he says, you know what? You will do greater works than these. Well, Jesus did some pretty great things, bud. Didn't he? He raised the dead, healed the leper, opened blind eyes. How did he do that? He had access in relationship from the power from heaven to come to earth. Okay? Well, what did he tell y'all to do? He told his disciples, pray what? Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Why would he tell them to pray for something that's not possible? Okay? Now watch what John 17 does. He says, this is my prayer, talking about for you, for his disciples first and then those that would believe through their word, which is you. He said, I pray that they would be one the way me and the Father are one. Well, that's pretty messed up if he prayed a prayer that didn't happen. That he prayed a prayer that's not possible. Come on, are y'all there? What am I saying? He wants your identity to be like his identity. And what was his identity? His identity was not my will, but your will. He said, I didn't do anything unless I saw the Father doing it. That's where his provision was from. That's where his peace was from. That's where his joy was from because it was the Father that sent him here to do the cross. And he said it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Okay, so let's put it like this. Was Jesus aligned with Father? So when you're aligned with someone, you have the resources of that person. Are you with me? Um, let's, let's take Eric because you know him. Okay, he's got kids. He's got a son-in-law here. Okay, um, if if they're aligned with him, guess what? They get the privileges of his resources. Okay, so I'm sure he doesn't walk into Eric's house and say, "Eric, I'm so hungry. Can I please have some of that popcorn?" <laughs> no, he's like, "I'm the one that brought this popcorn machine here anyway. I don't care if it's your house." Right? Why? Because he's aligned with him. He has privileges. Okay? So stay with me because I want to show you something here real quick. And then we'll shift one, one time and then wind this thing down so y'all can go home and watch football for a little while. <clears throat> I, I did a conference last week on, on uh, the five-fold ministry. And uh, understand those are gifts. The apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, those are gifts. Ephesians tells you that. He said he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Okay? But this is what I want you to understand. Those gifts are very important. Okay? Because sonship levels the playing field that we're all sons of God. But the gifts is what equips you to equip people for the kingdom, in the church to extend the kingdom. Okay? You never see in the Bible where it talks about the teacher's doctrine. Or the evangelist's doctrine. Matter of fact, the doctrine of the last hundred years has come from the pastor and the evangelist. Y'all agree? 
It's where it's come from. So most of the doctrine in the last hundred years is get everybody saved as soon as you can so Jesus can come back. That's been the doctrine. Okay? But if you look, the gifts that's supposed to set doctrine are the apostle and the prophet. You want me to prove it to you? Who wrote the book? In the Old Testament, who wrote? Prophets. In the New Testament, who wrote it? Apostles. So who do you think is supposed to be given true and accurate doctrine? So in the New Testament, you see, the only time you ever see this, he said, they continually stayed steadfast in the uh, apostles' doctrine. Now, you never see the pastor's doctrine. You know why? Because there's certain gifts that qualify gifts to be a gift. Let me explain to you. If you're a teacher, okay, there's a gift on your life not to get revelation from the Word. There's a gift on your life to break down the revelation you already got so other people can get it. There's anointing for that. So if you're a teacher, and not just in the church, in the school system, okay, you can be a teacher in the school system. There's an anointing on that person's life not to get revelation, but how to break it down so you get it. So that gift is on that person's life to be a teacher so you can get it. If they don't have that gift, they're just an exhorter. They can just exhort you, but they don't have that gift to break it down. Does that make sense? If you're an evangelist, a true evangelist, there's going to be the working of miracles in your ministry. Or you're not an evangelist. There's the gift of working miracles. So you see people out there saying, I'm an evangelist. You know, and, and they say, well, the number one sign of evangelist is getting people saved. Well, let me tell you something. You don't get nobody saved. They can't get saved unless the Spirit draws them. So it's not your job to get people saved. It's your job to make disciples. Come on, the Bible says go and preach. But it says make disciples. You know, we would rather lead somebody to the Lord than make a disciple. You know why? You can lead somebody to the Lord, say a prayer, they got saved, great, hallelujah. Make disciples, they call you at 3 o'clock in the morning, they're on drugs, they're in jail, and say, like, will you come get me? Come on, that's the hard part. Are y'all with me so far? Okay. Now, as a pastor, if you're a pastor, there's a gift of healing that operates in your life. Because a pastor, he shepherds the people. He leads the people to green pastures. But you know what? A lot of people in the church, they're hurt, they're wounded. And that gifts of healing qualifies that pastor to stand in that gift. I can prove it to you in Corinthians, but we don't have time. All right. But when you look, when it talks about the giftings in Corinthians, it'll say the apostle. It'll say the prophet, and then what does it say? The teacher, then what does it say? It says working of miracles, which what? Which qualifies the evangelist. And then it says gifts of healing, which qualifies the pastor. Why does it do that? It's showing you, it's showing you those gifts qualify those gifts to be that gift. Now, as a prophet, if you're a prophet, you'll have the gift of discerning of spirits. You'll have the gift of prophecy. Word of knowledge. Those gifts operate to qualify you in that office of a prophet, or you're not one. So you got people that prophesy, they say, well, they're a prophet. No, they're not. Anybody can prophesy. But it's different when you're set in that office of prophet, those gifts operate all the time. Does that make sense? Now, as an apostle, you're going to see an operation there called the gift of faith. Apostle will have a gift of faith. What does that mean? An apostle has that gift to go into an area, a sent one, where there's no church and start a church. 
where others would go, man, you don't want to go in there. It's a pioneering anointing. It's to start something that's never existed before. A true apostle is a father. That's what Paul said. He said, you know, I thank God, you know, talking about his gifting. He said, I become the scum of the earth so you could be blessed. That's a true father. A true father is not one of these that go, well, I taught you all you know, but I didn't teach you everything I know. Right? That's not a father. A father always wants his sons to do more than he did. Okay? A father will always sacrifice that the next generation will do more. All right? But, but I, want, I want to focus on this just for a minute. Is an apostle has the ability and the gifting. Okay? And, and that's why I believe the prophet and the apostle have not been welcomed back into the church. Think about it. We, we've accepted the pastor. We've accepted evangelist. We've accepted teacher. We had a real hard time with the prophet and the apostle. Matter of fact, most denominations say they don't; those gifts don't operate anymore. They're passed away. Why? The reason is because as they're restored, we're going to see accurate doctrine. You say, why is that so important? I'm not after doctrine for doctrine's sake. I'm after doctrine for alignment. I'm after doctrine because it really reveals the heart of God and how you see God. And if you'll, if you'll read the... The, the, the epistles and see how Paul broke things down, you'll see, you know, Paul was pretty incredible. Who, who, who gave the greatest revelation outside of Jesus? Paul. And this is what he said. He said, I didn't even talk to the other apostles about it. He said, I got this from Jesus Christ himself. Well, how arrogant. Could you see Peter going, dude, we walked with Jesus. We were there. We were there when he was crucified. You wouldn't know we're around. And Paul going, I ain't talking to you about this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Peter's over here going, no, it's just for the Jews. He's not the God of everybody. He's just for the Jews. Come on. So Peter's up on his house one day. And God gives him a vision. And Now, this is good news because you are Gentiles. Okay? Whether you all know it or not, you is. And, and this food comes down and Peter, and God says, eat. And he says, no way, I'm not eating. That's unclean. And God said, don't you call unclean what I call clean, eat. And he tells him, these men are coming, tells him to go with him. So Peter gets down and goes with them. Now, this is a huge paradigm shift. Because you have to understand, up until this time, for hundreds of years, the only thing the Jews have known is what? God is their God. Samaritans are dogs. Gentiles are dogs. God kills them. Is that true? He's only the God of the Jews. So you can see where Peter pulled this paradigm. It's the only thing they had. It's the, only, it's the only understanding they had. But God was about to shift things. He was going to show them that Jesus not only came for the Jews, but he died for the whole world. That's good news because that includes you, right? So here he goes to Cornelius' house, which is a Gentile. And he shows up and he starts talking to him. And in the midst of him talking to him, God interrupts. How rude. And God falls on them with the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in tongues. And Peter's like, what's going on here? He's like, well, I can see Peter going, wait a minute. You're not doing it right. Stop. Because watch this. Here's the order. If you're a Jew, you get born again. You get baptized with water. Then you get baptized with the Spirit. That's the order. He goes to the Gentiles, and what happens? God just baptizes them with the Spirit. And he's going, wait a minute, you've messed up the order that you gave us. 
but then he goes, well, dadgummit, is there any reason we don't go baptize them with water? Because they already got the Holy Spirit. And they said, no. So he went and baptized them with water. See, God has a big problem. He thinks he's God. About the time you get him in a box and you want him to do what you want him to do, he does something completely different. Why? He's in charge. Okay? Well, let me, I'm, I'm getting to a point. The reason I'm telling you this is because of alignment. Okay, now, you all know Peter and Paul got into it. We know who was right. Paul. God was a God to everyone. All right? But you see, in this alignment, God starts bringing resources. Let me give you an example. Remember when... They were on the, uh, Peter got upset. He went back fishing. Y'all remember that? Jesus shows up on the seashore. And he hollers at him and says, uh, hey, how's it going, boys? Not good. We fished all night. We ain't caught nothing. And what does God say? Throw your nets on the other side. Uh, excuse me. We just said we've been fishing all night. We hadn't caught anything. Now, number one, this is what I want to show you. Evidently, Jesus was disguising himself because they didn't recognize him. Is that true? Remember when Jesus was uh, resurrected from the dead and Mary was looking for him and she thought he was a gardener? Yeah. And she said, tell me, where's he at? I mean, don't get in the way of a woman seeking something, right? <clears throat> but I'll tell you how incredible it was. That woman stopped his ascension. That's pretty amazing that her seeking stopped his ascension from hell to heaven. That's some strong seeking right there. She said, tell me where he's at, because he, he asked, who are you seeking? When she told him, what did he say? Mary. He identified her. So evidently, she didn't recognize he was disguising himself, right? Remember the road to Emmaus? He's talking with the disciples as they're walking. What's up, boys? You know God has a sense of humor. What's happening? They said, where are you being? What, what do you mean? You ain't heard what happened? They just crucified this man named Jesus. They did all this stuff. And he's just, he's like, really? Do say. <laughs> They're talking about him. And then he starts going through. Now, he, he, this is what's so amazing. But he goes, well, isn't this what the prophets talked about and prophesied about? And he start, and they're going, yes. yeah." He said, their hearts burned within them. They didn't recognize it was him. Does that bother you? I read those scriptures and it bothers me because I'm saying, God, if you're so wanting to reveal yourself to us, why are you playing hide and seek with these people? Right? You're disguising yourself to them. He said, Darren, in that time they knew my face. They didn't know my voice. He said, but I was going to the Father and then I would be in them. I had to train them to know my voice, not my face. And I went, wow. I mean, that was huge for me, okay? And you know what that started to do? It started showing me God wants you to know the secrets that you read in the book that nobody will tell you. Because I used to ask those questions and nobody could answer them. So I thought, my lightning quick mind after 15 years, right? Hey, why don't I go to the guy that wrote the book? He might can answer this question. Why did you do this? And he told me, I went, wow. Right? That's what he was doing. He was training them for the next season in their life because he wouldn't with them walking face to face. He would be in here. Does that make sense? So he, he was training them by his voice. Okay? 
we're, we're in a season now that he's really moving us into something else, which is very scary. People don't like it, but he's moving us from his voice to his face. How many's had trouble hearing God lately? Some of y'all not being truthful. Because I'm telling you, he's doing it. Now, I'm not talking about, when we say face to face, I'm not talking about him looking like this. I'm talking about if we were cheek to cheek. If we were cheek, if Jesus was right here, we were cheek to cheek, what would I see? Whatever he sees. See, that's what the scripture says. We add to it, but the scripture says, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father. We add to it and say, I don't do anything unless I hear him. That's not what it says. Okay, let me give you an example because y'all looking at me crazy, all right? I walk, I'm at a church ministering, and they did this Dutch cooking. I don't know if y'all understand what that is, but they put stuff in the ground. It was amazing. This lady shows up, and she's talking to this other lady. And as soon as that lady shows up, this lady goes, hey, did you talk to so-and-so? And this lady goes, conversation was over. We didn't know what was going on, but we knew it's over. Do you know what Psalm says? Psalm says God will direct you with his eye. You know what happened in there? There was a conversation that didn't take place that everybody knew a conversation just took place. <laughs> Let me bring it home to you. You're with your wife. You're in a situation. You're talking about something, and she goes, hey. She just directed you with that eye. You knew exactly right then. You better shut up. <laughs> Nobody else might have known. Nobody else knew what that, but you knew what that was. I'm telling you, that's what God's doing. He so wants to be in relationship with us that you know things from him that other people don't know just because of a look, just because of a heart-to-heart Okay, like I could be sitting here with my wife. I could have a conversation with y'all. Y'all wouldn't have no idea what we're talking about. You know why? Because we talk different to each other. We have conversation and know things that y'all wouldn't know what we were talking about. And you're not supposed to. Because it's just supposed to be between me and her. That's the way your relationship with God. Matter of fact, that's the closest he can show you how he wants that relationship to be is a husband and a wife. Are you with me? See, there are some things that you're supposed to hear from God you don't ever tell anybody. They're that intimate. Because I don't talk to you. I, you know, I love Eric, but I ain't going to talk to him the way I talk to my wife. Amen. <laughs> and I'm not supposed to. And I hopefully he won't talk to me the way my wife talks to me. Right? That's the way it is supposed to be with God. He wants to be so intimate with you and set your identity that he can say things or you can know things that never have to be spoken. Do you know that's how Jesus operated with Father? He so knew the will of Father, he didn't always have to have his voice to obey him. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, I saw what he saw. That's how I knew what to do. Do you know the number one way that you're supposed to be led by God is by what? Peace. It's in here. So let's do this. Prove to me you're saved. How are you going to do that? Well, back in 1952, I said the prayer, so that means I'm saved. No, don't. Because lots of people said the prayer that we know their lifestyle, they're not saved. 
You can't prove it. You have to, what? Experience it. Are you with me? There's things that we're trying to prove in the Word of God and talk about in the Word of God that God wants us to experience. Because when you experience it, nobody can take it from you. See, somebody can teach you doctrine, or you can know the person. And if you just believe something because of doctrine, you really don't believe it. Because how did, how did you believe it in the first place? They talked you into it. So if somebody talked you into it, somebody can talk you out of it. Y'all know that well, just listen to politicians. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm talking about, but I'll tell you something, or listen to preachers. I could get up here and give my doctrine, and I could give it such in a good way, I'd have you going, no matter what you believed, I'd have you going, man, maybe that's right. But then you listen to somebody else, and you're going, well, wait a minute, man, that sounds right. I mean, if you just listen to TV on what they say, and you didn't have the facts at half the time they're lying, you'd be like, man, that sounds right. So why do you believe what you believe? Is it because somebody taught you? Or is it access that you have in a relationship and you've experienced it? You see, at eight years old, I got hit with a golf club and crushed this side of my face, my eye. Two days later, I walked out of the hospital, no operation. So it doesn't matter to me whether people don't believe in healing. I've experienced it. You can't take it from me. You can't take my experience. Now, you might can argue over whether you God will heal you or not. You don't have to believe it. You just don't get it. Are you with me? But you're not going to talk me out of it. I mean, I got a brother that was clinically dead for 12 hours. God raised him from the dead. My mom did. So, well, God don't do that anymore. Well, he did for us. We're his favorite family. <laughs> See, how you believe, it, it, it gives you alignment for access. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to shift. Because I don't want Bryce to walk out on me. So, I'm going to hurry and get done by 10. No, he said he had to go by 10. So so let me give you this because I, I want to show you something here that's very important because God has set a, a gift in your house. Eric's not just a pastor. He's an apostle, okay? And I'm going to say some things that will be challenging to you. But if, if, if you'll go to God and find out this stuff, you'll see it, it'll change your resources. It'll change your blessings. Some of y'all want that? I do. God puts people in your life to align with, and when he aligns you with those people, it brings blessings to you. You see, you, you shouldn't have the choice where you go to church. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he sets you as it pleases him. So if you're here today, you should believe I'm here in this church because God has set me in this church. So if God has set you in this church, then he set this leader in your life. And Upon your alignment with this leader determines your success, your blessings. Okay? You might not like the body that God gave you. Okay? So let somebody take an axe and chop off what you don't like. You wouldn't do that, would you? No, because you, you might not like the way you look or the way you feel, but you cherish your body enough, I'm not going to do that. Well, it's the same thing in the body of Christ. You, you may have some people in here you don't like, but did you know your success is determined with them in the alignment of the body, every joint supplying so that you can mature, that everybody finds their place, that you grow up. Oh, I done lost some of you. 
Let me give you an example. I went to a meeting one time. Amy's ever heard of Dutch Sheets? And I'm sitting there listening to Dutch Sheets. <clears throat> and and uh, God uses numbers with me a whole lot. And so anyway, I'm in room. He puts me in a room 110 in, in the motel. And one ten, Psalms 110 is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. So when I got that room, I knew, God, you're, tell, you're saying something. That might be freaky to you, but I'm just telling you how he works with me. And so I go to the church, and Dutch is freaking. Never met the man. I'm sitting at the back. God spoke to me and said, the same anointing that is on Dutch, I'm giving you access for the next generation. And I'm like, cool. Because I'm thinking, I really don't know what anointing that is. And it's not Dutch's anointing. It's what God has put on him for his call and his purpose. So if God said it, I'm like, well, cool. He said, I want you to give everything in your wallet in the offering. So I open my wallet. Guess how much is in there? $110. I'm like, okay, God, you're doing something. And then he says, now, I want you to go up and prophesy Psalms 110. God, Dutch is, is about to preach. I don't know the man. Go up. See, when God tells you to do something, he's not looking for your response. Another thing, when he asks you a question, he's not looking for information either. If he asks you a question, it's because you don't know the answer. So don't give him an answer. Say, okay, I don't know what you're, okay. Come on, when he asked them, is the land good? Let's go in and see what, he, would, he knew the land was good. He wanted to see how they saw it. So I go up, John Benefield's there, and I'm thinking, you know, I'll tell John I got a word, and John will go up and interrupt Dutch. And so I say, uh, John, I, I got a word, and John does this. And I go, I got a word. He goes, go ahead. I'm thinking, crap, it's Dutch sheets. So Dutch is praying. So I walk up and I put my hand on his back. And you got to know Dutch. He goes, he stops. He goes, I got a word. And this is what he does. He goes, looks at John. And then looks at me and goes, he gives me the microphone, and I get up, and I start to prophesy Psalms 110. And I hear him laughing behind me, and I'm going, oh, thank God. Because, I, mean, I mean, it's in front of about 500 people. And I give him back the microphone, and he steps back up the pulpit and opens the Bible and says, now open Psalms 110. That's my message today. <laughs> now, that was my introduction to Dutch, okay? That was God confirming to me the alignment of him putting me under this man. Does that make sense? Okay, so I told you that story to give you an example. Anybody ever heard of Elijah? Anybody ever heard of Elisha? What happened? God put Elisha with Elijah, right? Alignment. So at the end of Elijah's life, what do he say? What do you want, Elisha? He said, I'll tell you what I want. I want a double portion of what? Your spirit. He didn't ask, God, I want a double portion of the anointing. He said, I want a double portion of what God's put on you. I want double of it. Now, how could he ask that? How does he have a right for that? Because he aligned with that man. He sowed into that man. He honored that man. So he had a right to get a double portion of what that man carried. It's called alignment. Now, I don't know about you, but... um. I've been to Eric's house. Pretty nice house. 
Uh, some of you that ain't married, I've met his wife. She's a pretty nice wife. Uh, come on. Go there with me. Work with me. I've met his, oh, he knows that. I've met his in-laws. Pretty good in-laws. What am I trying to tell you? Pretty good business mind here. What am I telling you? There's alignment for you to access, and it always increases as it goes down. So what did Elisha get? He got a double portion of Elijah's spirit plus his own. How many know he's going to be more successful than Elijah? He did twice the miracles Elijah did. Why? Because he had access to it. See, y'all thought I forgot, but I didn't. They throw their net on the other side. What happened? They caught a lot of fish. Watch this. They caught so many fish, Peter said they had to call for his partners to come help. Well, who's his partners? It's the people that is aligned with Peter. And guess what? They got part of the harvest because of the alignment they had with Peter. Are you with me? What am I telling you? This is what God's wanting to do. See, there's identities and giftings in each one of you. As God sets that alignment in those identities in you, guess what? Every one of you has something to bring to the table. Every one of you, God wants to align in identity as partners and align. Or you wouldn't be here this morning. Okay? Let me ask you this. Did you get to choose who your daddy was? You were born into the world, right? God chose. It's the same thing spiritually. You don't get to choose. God sets you as it pleases him. And in that alignment is with the place where your destiny is, where your purpose is, where you'll grow, where you'll flourish. Now, it doesn't always mean that they're the best. Now, here you do have the best, but let me show you in a situation where it wasn't. Because I see people all the time going, well, I just don't need to be in this place because this person's not. Well, one of the greatest prophets to ever live was named Samuel. He was so awesome, none of his words fell and hit the ground. God put him under a wicked priest named Eli. Man, look at that alignment. But because he served him and honored him, guess what? God showed him what not to do. And he became one of the greatest prophets there ever was. But it was still the alignment that he put under that, guess what? He got to pull from the position and the gifting that God put on Eli, not necessarily what he was doing. Does that make sense? So I'm giving you both sides of it. I've been in a church where the pastor wasn't everything I wanted him to be. Because, you know, I had it figured out, and I knew what God was doing, and he had no clue, right? <laughs> but I realized God was training me in some of that and showing me how to honor and how to respect no matter what he did. What am I telling you? You can't get out of this no matter which way you go. If he's bad or he's good, the alignment that you connect to of where God has set you determines your inheritance, good or bad. And see, that's why so many people miss their inheritance. Well, I just don't believe what they're doing. I'm out of here. Well, the issue is, did God set you there? Because if he did, that's where your inheritance is. That's where your blessings are. That's where your growth is. That's where you'll find your destiny and purpose. God sets you as it pleases him. All right, now I'm going to give you this last example, and then I'm done on alignment. You'll find this passage out of 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I'm just going to tell you this story, because you really can't have true alignment without true covenant. Most people don't understand covenant. I've learned that. 
You say, man, you know, I, I want to be in covenant. People say, oh, yeah, I'm in covenant with you. We know for a fact people don't understand covenant the way covenant is supposed to be. All right? But here you see the example of true covenant. It's a man named David going to make covenant with a man named Jonathan. Now, I want to show you how powerful this covenant is. Because Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan is in line for the kingdom. The kingdom was going to come from Saul to his firstborn, Jonathan. Okay? That's how it was going to happen. Jonathan sees the anointing on David and shifts and is willing to give everything up that belongs to him because he sees it on David. Well, you don't talk about covenant. Basically, he's saying what rightfully belongs to me, God has shifted and put on you. And because I see that, I'm, I'm going to be in covenant with you. He didn't try to protect it. He didn't try to take it. He recognized it and said, it's yours. You're the leader, not me. You're the ones God's chosen. Now, see, true covenant, okay, is putting the other person before you. I think a book talks about that somewhere in 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter. What love does. See, you can't have covenant without love. And see, love doesn't try to take care of itself first. It always tries to take care of the person they're in covenant with first. You know, instead of submit woman, if you'll love her, she'll have no problem submitting. Okay, because, you know, there's one of the biggest problems we have is in covenant with our spouses, right? See, if we, we get to practice at home. Uh-oh, it doesn't got quiet. I know you told me to talk on marriage. I know, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let me read these passages to you. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him. Now, number one, this is a kingly robe. It's a robe that the king has given the prince and that prepares him to be the next king. Jonathan takes it off and gives it to David. By this, he's saying, what rightfully belongs to me, I give to you. All right? Secondly, he says, uh, took off the robe, gave it to him, David, with his armor. Okay, so the next thing he does, he takes off his armor. And he gives it to David. This is what he's saying. I trust you with my life, David. I don't need to be protected around you. I can unveil to you really who I am. I take off my armor. Even to his sword, okay, which means he takes off his armor and his sword, which gives David the right to kill him. Puts a sword in his hand, gives him his armor. He's basically exposing himself, okay, making covenant with him. Because understand, this is 1 Samuel, what, 18. When did David get anointed to be king? Already belongs to him, doesn't it? Well, what's the problem when you get anointed to be king? There's already a king. And that king's going to hand it down to who? His son. And Jonathan's giving him the opportunity saying, hey, you can kill me if you want to. He's saying, I trust you enough. I'm in covenant with you. I'm giving you my rightful place. I'm taking off my armor and my sword, and I trust you with no protection. What the third one says. 
and his bow. So in other words, he hands him his bow and says, not only do I protect you or trust you face to face, I trust you when I'm away from you that you could kill me and me not even know it. So a bow is also a representation. A sword is I can kill you, but i got to be close. But a bow is somewhere where I can kill you when you're away. You know what he's saying? I trust you with your words. I trust you that you're not going to hurt me when I'm away from you. I give you my bow. Come on, let's talk about covenant. In other words, when I'm away from him, I'll still talk good about him. <coughs> not just when I'm face to face. You know, he told me a story that <clears throat> some guy took up for him. Something he was preaching, and, and the guy said, you know, come against him. And he goes, well, I took up for you today and, and stood up for his pastor. And he really didn't even know how his pastor believed on that because he wasn't standing up for doctrine. He's standing up for the person. Come on, are you all out there? See, this is what's shifting. In times past, we gathered around belief. That's why you have so many doctrines out there. So this is the thing. If you believe like me, we can fellowship. Right? Well, how many knows if we operate like that, none of us would be married? Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. But see, that's how the churches operate. If you believe exactly like I believe, then we can walk together. But if you don't, you're out, man. That's not covenant. That's not relationship. That's not kingdom. Come on. Did you know I can have a relationship with somebody that's Catholic? I can love the person and be in a relationship with him. Because I tell you what, if I really have what's true and right, that'll change them. Come on, are y'all out there? See, we've made it so about what we believe. But see, now we're starting to operate from kingdom principles. And kingdom principles is about what? Relationship. It's about love. I don't have to be right. I've learned that. That's why I'm 24 years still married. Come on, I don't have to be right. I'd rather have relationship than being right. Y'all don't even want to talk about that. Hey, I'm upset at my wife. I want to be right. After about three days, forget it. I don't care about being right. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You want relationship. God made you that way. And you know what? Some of the relationships we've broken off, I mean, it hurts us deep. Oh, man, I can't be in a relationship with him because he don't see it the way I do. But down deep, you know that's not right. And you know what? You hurt for that relationship. Because God puts relationships in your life. And he puts them in there to stir you. You know, when it says iron sharpens iron, that doesn't mean you get along. It means you sharpen one another. I mean, if you just hang out with people you get along with, you ain't going to grow. That's why he put you in a marriage. Okay, the last thing he does, look at this. He gives him his bow, and then, and then he gives him his belt which is what holds everything. You know what he's saying? I trust you, watch this, with my seed. I trust you with my kids. I'm exposing myself to you. The thing that what holds and, and, and protects my children, I strip myself of it and I give it to you and saying. I'm protect. I'm trusting you, and my covenant goes to my seed. Now watch this. We know what happens. David becomes king, right? When David becomes king, and Saul and Jonathan gets killed, and he becomes king over Judah and Jerusalem, 
and he moves. He brings the Ark of the Covenant, the presence, back into the, to the kingdom. And then what's the next thing he does? He wants to build God a house, right? And God tells him, and he makes room for him, and he says, your son's going to build the house and all this. And then what does David do? David says, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can show God's goodness to? And they say, well, there's this young man named Mephibosheth down in Lodibar. It's Jonathan's son. David said, go get him. Now, Mephibosheth was crippled. And the reason he was crippled is because when David became king, they ran in to get him and run off because when a new king would come in, he would kill all the descendants of the old king so they wouldn't be a coup in an uprising trying to take the kingdom back. So they grabbed Mephibosheth and they dropped him when he was a baby and it crippled him. Can you imagine when David sends Ziba down to get him and saying, the king wants to see you. You know what he's doing? He's going, well, this is it. I've hid for a long time, but now it's time for me to die. See, he's expecting to be killed. But guess what David's doing? David's saying, I remember my covenant with Jonathan. I remember my covenant, not just with me and him, but my covenant with his seed, that I made a covenant with him. Jonathan's not there to hold him to that covenant. Are you with me? But David knew that God had put him and Jonathan together, and his alignment and his success was determined by this. Matter of fact, David's covenant was so strong, even with Jonathan, he wouldn't come against Saul. He could have killed Saul when he was in the cave. And he, remember he ripped off a piece of his robe and then God smote his heart? You know why? Because he'd made covenant. He had made covenant. Matter of fact, he laid before Saul. And Saul could have killed him. And, and Saul was like, oh, man, you're, you're more of a man of God than I am, David, my son. Called him his son. Until he got away from him, then that spirit would come after him again. Why? Because that's the power of covenant. That's the strength of covenant. Matter of fact, it says that he loved him even stronger than a woman. And so he honored that, and he went and got Mephibosheth. Can you imagine Mephibosheth saying, man, I'm going, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. And they bring him in, and David's smiling at him. And David said, listen, this is what's going to happen. From now on, you're going to eat at my table. These people are going to work your fields. You'll never have to do another thing. All your land, they're all yours, but you're going to eat at my table. And he's honoring the covenant that he made. Mephibosheth just got in on it. Watch this. Because he was Jonathan's seed. Does that make sense? See, you have to understand something. You're living this life is bigger than your just relationships here. If you can really allow God to bring covenant in alignment, your children's children will be blessed because of that covenant. Because of the inheritance that God passes down. He honors it. It's sacred to him. Not only between a man and a woman, but between a man and a man. It's something that is so strong, and it allows alignment and blessings to flow down that the next generation is supposed to be on our shoulders. They shouldn't have to start over again. This is the things that God is going into and dealing with our identity. This is what he wants to establish. He wants to build the church so strong that it's not an issue just about belief system anymore. See, we've preached stuff, and we believe things that are just, they're quoted, and they're not right. 
You know, we use that scripture, well, if two can't walk together unless they agree. You, you, gotta, you can't take that out of context. You've got to go back and really see what he's talking about. Because we know, like I said, if that was the case, none of us would be married. Because so many of us don't agree at times with our wife. But guess what? I'm not, a, I'm not divorcing my wife because I don't agree. I just tell her to go repent and change. <laughs> no, we walk those things out. And I guarantee you, there's things that she sees. I don't see it the same way. And I promise you this. You will never ever, ever, never, ever understand a woman. You're not meant to. You're supposed to serve her. Same thing with her. She'll never understand you. You know, I used to think, God, why can't she get it? You know why? Because that's the part of me that he took out of me to walk together with me to complete me. Think about it. That's what he did when he took Eve out of, out of man. That's the part of man. That's what completes you. You may think you don't need that in your life, but I promise you, you do. You know what a prophetic word is? It's what your wife told you three months ago. <laughs> so I, I want to end with this, and I'll pray. <clears throat> and This is what I believe God wants to bring tonight, and I'll set some things tonight, and we'll really just move prophetically and minister over people. But uh, I want to challenge you. And, and Eric, listen, he didn't ask me to come do this. And I don't do this at other places unless God tells me what to do, okay? But I felt like this was the word of, of inheritance and alignment just to the men of what God wants to do here because he has set this man and his family in this, in this region, okay? It's not just in this house. He set him in this region. And there's alignment that it needs to take place that will determine inheritance. So let me tell you how you do that. Number one, honor. You don't do anything outside of honor. It's the same thing with your wife. You know, if you're doing things just to be doing things, there's no honor there. You've got to do it out of honor. Matter of fact, the Word tells you this, you know, those that honor. That's, that's how you reap from relationships. You honor that. Uh, this is what Bill Johnson says. You always have access to what you honor. If you, if you honor something, you have access to receive from that. Okay? If you honor your wife and your relationship, guess what? You're going to have access to receive from that relationship. Does that make sense? Um, in resources, in giving, uh, it's like this with Dutch. God spoke that to me, so I honor Dutch. I don't just, uh, you know, and I sow into him, okay? Now, I don't just sow into him resources, which I do sow in resources, because guess what? It's going to be pretty hard to honor if you don't give. Now, listen, I don't give to his ministry. See, I want, to, I want to show you something different here. You can honor by giving your tithe to the church. But what I'm talking about doesn't go to the church. It goes to the person. You're honoring the gift that God gave you, and you're honoring and you're getting access from the anointing, from the position, from the blessings that's on that person. And I can show it to you in Scripture. It's scriptural. Okay? It's how God set it up. We've made a system out of it. But true honor, see, when it talks about the tithe, did you know even, even when the, the first person to tithe was who? Abraham. Did he, did he give it to a church? Gave it to Melchizedek, didn't he? Gave it to a person. See, that's what tithing represents. You're giving that to God. It's a, it's a tithe to God. You're giving him, okay? But there's blessings and honor where you're honoring the person that God has set in your life. Think about it like this. When you're in a family, what does God tell you the children to do? 
honor and obey your parents. Is that right? Is that what it says? Fifth commandment. It's the first commandment with a what? A promise. He said, and if you do this, you will live long and it will go well with you. So what if you don't do that? The opposite should be true. It ain't going to go well with you and you may not live so long. Right? Well, if he does that physically, guess what? There's a principle there spiritually. So you know what? I position myself. I've honored Dutch monetarily with resources. There's things that I know he likes that I've bought him. I don't do it trying to get position. I do it out of honor. I do it out of blessings. Okay? And guess what? It's aligned me to receive. I can show you when I started doing that how my life changed. You know why? Because the anointing that he's paid for, the anointing that's on his life where he's had breakthrough, and he's got a national ministry, and he's got a voice into the uh, government and that stuff, as I honored that, guess what? It opened things for me. I mean, he's the first man that gave me an opportunity to speak nationally. Nobody knew who I was. And he had me come to his conference and nationally spoke. Well, he didn't do that just because he liked me. He did that because I honored something. Okay, now listen. And a lot of times when I was honoring and giving him money, he didn't even know I was giving it to him. Hello. I didn't do it so I'd go, hey, look, I'm giving you this money. So you, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. God brings promotion, but he uses men to do it. And he gives you access. Does that make sense to you? And so the first thing I had to say is I'm going to honor this relationship. And so to do that, I said, I'm going to sow into it. Now, that, that's not what I gave the church. That belongs to God. Okay? But I would honor sowing into that, knowing that that was giving me access. So let me give you an example, and I'll, I'll, I'll quit this thing. Say we got a field over here. Okay? And over here, you're living on concrete, and you got seeds in your hand. Throw them out on that contract and see what happens. Nothing. But if I go over and put them in that field, then I have access, okay, for that field now to produce for me what was in that seed. Does that make sense? If somebody that God has put in your life has already has the field ready, don't throw your seed on concrete. Get in alignment with their field and sow it into that field and watch what starts to come up. See, we, we, we do things where we have to start over every generation. And God was showing me with Dutch. He said, look, this is the same anointing's on you for the next generation. Now, you can go out there and try to do it on your own, or he's already broken through with his generation. Honor what I put in your life. Learn from him. Sow into him. And I will use him in alignment to bring you in and give you a voice to the next generation. That's how God operates. Okay? It's a first fruits principle. Are you with me? And so I'm not saying what to do with him. That's, that's between y'all. But this is what I'm saying. If God's placed you here, there's alignment that needs to take place. There has to be honor and there has to be sowing into that. You say, what is that? That's between you and God. But I can tell you this principle works. And, and the reason I've had to pull back on this is I've always been in the system. Okay, because I have a pastor. But now God's moved me out of the system. So now I have the freedom. Because I'll tell you something. If I preach this in our church, how's it going to sound? He's just trying to get money. 
but I'm, God would give me these principles, and I was operating in it, and I knew the blessings of it, but I couldn't preach it in my church, especially in a small community I was in, because I guarantee I'd got hammered. All they want is money, you know, okay? And so I, w- I want to challenge you in that. I want to challenge you of what God's doing. He's setting your identity. Right, and in that, he starts to show you how to operate correctly in the house of God. Does that make sense? And I'm telling you, I, I can show you my resources and my finances. Mark can tell you from a few years ago where I was at to where I'm at now. Okay? And and the reason is because of alignment. And I sow into someone that's already broke through, already operating in that li- my, my life, and God's saying, give that person access. Does that make sense to you? Okay, it's challenging, but I'm telling you, if you'll come the next couple days, you'll start to see this, or at least get the tapes you can't be here. You'll start to see this in every area of your life. It's changed my marriage. It's changed my children. It's changed my bank account. It's changed how I operate because of some of these things that God has set me in my identity. Okay, and in that identity, now I live from that place. I'm not trying to get to that place. Does that make sense? And so, you know, now when he tells me to do something, I don't have to figure it out. I mean, you know, as one Sunday I got up and God told me to give this family $10,000. The good news was I had it. Now, I would have gave it to them in private. God said, no, you give it to them in front of everybody. I thought, God. Well, I gave it to him. I said, look, God told me to give you $10,000. I thought there'd be more people at church next Sunday. <laughs> but he come up and he said, you know what? God told me to move here. He said, but I told him, God, I, ha- I got to have $10,000. Well, today, that's that's the son that I set in and gave the church to. Now, we got a, Eric's been there. It's a $2.8 million building facility. We owe $675,000 on it. That's a pretty good deal. It's his. I gave it to him. I said, here you go. I wish somebody would have gave me that when I started. I didn't have nothing. I didn't have a sound system. I didn't have a microphone. I but see, that's what fathers are supposed to do. But you know what? When he aligned with me, I didn't tell God did it. I mean, I had other sons that I thought that I would have gave it to. But God said, that's the one. And I give it to him. And he's operating in it today. Now, he's got to make choices what he wants to do, but I put it in his hands. That's the way the kingdom operates. Hello. Now, you know what he was going to do? He was going to start a church in a certain place, and he'd had to start it by himself with no nobody aligned, nobody giving him money. He'd have started from nothing. He laid it down, and in three years, God gave him this facility and acres and everything and people. That's alignment. I didn't choose that. Are you with me? I didn't choose that. I just obeyed what God told me to do. Does that make sense to you? That's the way the kingdom operates. The kingdom operates out of relationship and covenant. And I'm telling you, if you'll align in this house with what God has for you to do and hear his voice, it'll happen that simple for you too. Now, he may not give you the church because he's still here. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. He'll open up business for you. Whatever the anointing is on his life, you have access to it. Now, here's the deal. If you didn't believe that he was called of God and had anointing, you wouldn't be here. Right? Even if God told you to, if you if you didn't believe he had something to offer you, you wouldn't be here. So here's the question. What does he have that you want? 
trying to quit, but I'll give you an example. I'll take sons with me, and Mark's been, I'll take sons with me at times when I'll go minister. And these sons have never prophesied. We'll move into prophetic ministry, they'll start prophesying over people. You know why? They're operating in my anointing. It's scriptural. What's what Jesus did? Jesus put his mantle on the 12. And they went out and started casting out devils. They were so excited, they come back and said, man, the demons have to listen to us. Right? He said, don't get too excited about that. Don't get too excited about you operating in the kingdom. Stay excited about your identity, your books, your names in the book. You see what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, there's an anointing that God has given me. There's a position that God's given me. When people align with it, they get to take part of what belongs to me that I paid a price for. Does that make sense? It's like if you're a father and you break through in resources, okay? Well, guess what? The next, the son does what? He gets blessed. Remember Abraham and Isaac? Remember when the, the famine come on the land? What God tell Isaac? I'm going to bless you because of your father. He said, so in this land, I'm going to give you a hundred foe in this land. Can you imagine Isaac? I bet Isaac was going, thank God Abraham is my daddy. Right? Now, what, let me show you one that's bad, and I will end. Remember who Abraham took with him? Took Lot, didn't he? Did you know Lot was so blessed because he went with Abraham, and Abraham wasn't even supposed to take him, that their herdsmen started. You know what Lot should have done? He should have sat down with Abraham and said, listen, Abraham, let me tell you. I will deal with my herdsmen. I will get this figured out. I'm not leaving you. Think about it. He didn't realize the only reason he was blessed is because he was with Abraham. And Abraham said, hey, pick whichever, whichever way you want to go. Whatever land you want, pick it. And he picked what he thought was going to be the best land, which was towards Sodom. And what happened? He lost his family. He lost his city. And he ended up in a cave with his daughters getting him drunk and having incest. You know why? Because he broke the relationship he should have stayed with. See, here, here's the thing with the kingdom. Don't think you ever get so big and so great that you break relationships that cost you. Because that's how God, he builds the kingdom through relationships. I mean, the first time Abraham had to go rescue him. Remember when he went and took his guys and rescued Lot? That ought to showed him right there. When he rescued him, I, if I was Lot, I'd been like, hey, buddy, I'm with you. Forget Sodom, I'm coming back with you. Do you know God puts relationships in your life like that? And he's not cursing you, it's you're making a decision, well, I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. And you're allowing things to happen where God wants blessings and he honors relationships and covenant. He really does. So I want to challenge you in those things. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying go to the scripture, ask God, and see what happens. And when this started changing in my life, these were principles that I put in. that make sense? We got any questions? I'll pray and let you go. Tonight we'll move prophetically. And, but I really felt like God wanted you just to chew on this word this morning. Okay? And I'm telling you, when you do this, when you, and listen, all I'm asking you to do, just, just let God show you. No pressure. I've never, you know, even in this with God, I've always said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll guarantee you, he's pretty precise. He'll confirm things that he wants you to do and how he wants you to do it. And sometimes what you think is no big deal is a real big deal to other people. Okay, last example. How many lasts have I had? Okay. 
Dutch is putting on a 90 days in Colorado. And um, God told me, he said, I want you to go help him. He said, I want you to take your praise and worship team, and I want you to buy your own motel, everything. I want you to sew into it. So I did. So Dutch comes up to me in one of the meetings. He says, man, I, I just apologize. I've been so busy. I'm just sorry I couldn't spend more time with you. And I looked at him. I said, I didn't come up here to spend time with you. He looked at me. I said, God told me to come help you. I'm not here to pull on you. I'm here to bless you. His, his face was like, oh, my gosh. He, he just looked at me. He goes, thanks. Because you know what? He's wore out. Okay? And everywhere he goes, he gets pulled on. Okay? A bunch of pastors got together. We went to Redding, California and took Bill Johnson thousands of dollars and washed his feet. We didn't come there to pull on him. We went there to bless him. Does that make sense? And so you don't, you don't understand, sometimes those things are so huge. But you know what? I didn't need him to spend time with me. I was doing what God said to do, and God was going to bless me. But you know what? Because I did that, how many knows it opened an avenue for me? And there was times he was calling me and saying, hey, man, let me put this by you. We got Why? Because I honored the relationship. I didn't pull. I didn't suck the relationship dry. I understood there was a part that I had to give. And I understood if I did that and honored that, guess what? God will honor me. All right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men today. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Eric and his family. And God, we know that you have set him in this community. God, we know you set him in this region and this church. And God, these men that you have placed around him are men to walk in relationship, are men to be men of covenant. And God, as you set and seal identity and you'll show them how to walk in covenant. Not only will the church be blessed, but this region will be blessed. Not only will their families be blessed, but their children will be blessed. God, it's the way you do the kingdom. And so, God, I just ask your blessings upon them today. And I just ask that you would seal this word in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen.